Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and it's great to have you back along for another episode of this is your journey it's brought to you by the team at tobin brothers funeral celebrating lives today we have the company of a man who experienced the highest of highs and perhaps the lowest of lows in an afl career spanning 14 years dan hannabury won a premiership an afl coaches association player of the year award he was three times an all australian in what was a glorious stint at the sydney swans but he experienced the other side of professional sport during his four years at St Kilda, where a constant run of injuries meant he was never quite the same player at Moorabbin as he was at Moore Park. Dan Hanabry, great to have you with us in the studio and welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. On paper, I don't know, it's almost the tale of two careers, isn't it? On paper, anyway, the honour-laden decade at the Swans, which you mentioned, and the really tough four seasons at St Kilda. You've been retired for only 18 months. Yep. How does it sit with you? Yeah, it's, it's a funny, funny one. I... I've reflected a bit, but I probably haven't sat down and really dug into it, to be honest. Because, um, yeah, I think that four years, uh, it hurts a little bit because you have, you have such success individually and as a team. And, um, you know, you, you do put a lot of work in your train, you sacrifice, and you do all these things to get yourself right. Um, and there were every single year I played at St Kilda, the last couple of games I ended up playing. Yeah. You know, so I ended up after the rehabs and different jigging of things, we, we finally would get um, the rehab process right. So, and when I played, I was a, I was a pretty solid contributor. So it was frustrating. Um, but yeah, to be honest with you, it's hard to uh, to judge. But I think if I'm brutally honest, I think it's just the person I am. But because of that last four or five years, I probably and this is going to sound a bit um a bit silly, but I do view large parts of my career as almost a failure in a sense that I didn't quite get it done. But I think um as an entirety and a, and a whole career, you go, she's great career is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think internally, which is sort of the way I've sort of been as a kid. Um, and I've grown, the way I've grown up, which sort of made me a great player, but also probably worked against me, was that I probably view almost um, as I didn't quite get it done. Well, it's the ultimate glass half full versus glass half empty conversation, isn't it, in a way? I mean, it'd be perhaps tempting to wonder, as you touched on there, what might have been, but at the same time, perhaps makes you more thankful for the good times you did have. And there's recency bias with this too, because the incredible first decade, Mm. but of course the most recent experience at the top level was far from ideal. So it's... Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the first 10 years were unbelievable. I mean, we... You take for granted, we were playing prelims, semi-finals, grand finals nearly every year. I was at the, at the club at at, um, at Sydney, and I mean the coaching staff was unbelievable. The board level, everything was stable. Um, our leadership group was was second to none. So you go into a program like that. Um, if you work hard, um, it is hard to sort of almost um, not have a bit of luck and succeed as a young player. So I was incredibly lucky to go into that program. I mean yeah. Sydney Swans. I still think even now today, there. If I'm gonna um, pick a club to go to, they're going to be my top two, you know, by a mile. And I'll probably tell most draftees that. I think you're, you're lucky when you get to a program like that. So um, extremely fortunate. Obviously, injuries were kind, kind to me in that first 10 years. And uh, and then obviously made the made the call to come back down to, come back down to Melbourne with family. And um, unfortunately, I came down fit and healthy, started the preseason strongly, and uh, things didn't quite work out. Let's come back to all that. What have we dragged you away from this morning? Because you've come in here looking very sharp. Shirt, yeah. tie. I mean, I'm not sure the last time you wore a tie might have been in your school days at Xavier, but you look magnificent. What are you up to on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, last time I wore a tie would have been muck-up day for for, for Xavier. But uh, I'm doing. I'm working commercial real estate, working for Jones Real Estate. Uh, a mate of mine, Paul Jones, uh, plucked me. I was doing a bit of work experience at another company, and um, he said uh, he came to jump on board. So uh, it's been a... 
only three, you know, four or five months at, at Jones Real Estate, but uh, I'm loving it and uh, plenty to learn. But um, yeah, it's a good industry. Yeah. And now you look fit. Are you playing footy again? What are you doing at Old Zavs? Have you, did I read something about a, you got a coaching portfolio now as part of that? <laughs> uh, coaching portfolio. I'm uh, coaching the midfield uh, at, at the Old Zavs under Dan Donati, which is uh, which is exciting. Um, looking to play a few games, but um, we'll see how the body goes. I played one game last year and broke my jaw in that game. So I'm enjoying uh, training for half marathons at the moment, running that sort of non-contact, but still getting that uh, that fitness and that uh, I guess that adrenaline from uh, from training. So that's um, it's been a good balance lately. Got a race coming up? Uh, two weeks. Got the Carmen's half marathon. So nice. Try and knock the time off from last time, and uh, and we'll um, we'll see how the body goes uh, transitioning from the footy after that. What's the time to beat? Personally, uh, I'm aiming for around the sort of 121, 122. Solid. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. You need conditions to be right for you to run that time, but um, fingers crossed. Just coming back to the Vafra and Old Zavs, like, it is a, anyone who knows or has been along or played in it is a very good standard for amateur footy, no doubt, particularly yeah. A grade. But I, I've never asked a former AFL player this without um, wanting you to sound arrogant. Does it feel like the game's almost in slow motion after what <laughs> you've come from at a professional level? When you come back down to that level, just what's it feel um, like? Well, the first game I played, which which I only played one game last year and, and broke my jaw in the first quarter, first 10 minutes, never broken a jaw either before that. But we played St. Kevin's and they had a lot of, you know, ex-VFL, some, yeah. some ex-AFL players playing. Um, and I remember the first 10 minutes going, shit, this is a lot quicker than what I was expecting. Right. So that game in itself, for the first probably 40 minutes, right, right. really high level. Um, and then just because of fitness and, and, and whatnot, it, it comes back down quite significantly. After halftime, the game slows right down, I, I, I found. But that first, you know, 40 minutes, first two hours or first hour uh, was hot. And I get with the good sides, um, the standards are a lot better than what you'd expect. And uh, I was blowing heavily in that first quarter. Jeez, the broken jaws are bad luck. <laughs> how's, how's the body these days? I mean, often we talk about the toll that playing, especially for 14 years at the top level, uh, takes on, on people, uh, men and women. You've been out of the rigour and the cut and thrust of it for a year and a half now, but how are you in your day-to-day? Is it, what's the body count look like? Uh, not too bad. Obviously, um, soft tissue most it's, it's of it, it's wasn't quite, it? It's quite funny. Since, uh, since I retired, I mean, I, got, I had some treatment in Germany before I came back and played the last sure. three games. And to be honest with you, since that treatment, my, my calves and body have been as good as it's been. Um, I had no worries playing footy. And obviously I've been running, which is a different type of, um, I guess, you know, intensity in training to footy. You know, AFL is high, high intensity, so it's really hard to judge. But body's feeling good. Um, it's amazing when you don't have that mental stress of, she's I hope I don't get injured. I hope I can stay you know, injury-free. How much that uh-huh. has an impact, I reckon that is significant because that hasn't been there for me. And, and funnily enough, my body, without any real rehab, any strengthening, no nothing, just getting out, running or training, I've been fine. Just so, needed some rest. Uh, it's quite amazing. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So the bloodline suggested that Dan Hanabry was always going to make it as an AFL player. We're going to retrace the early steps after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. AFL Premiership player and triple All-Australian Dan Hanabry is today's guest. So, Dan, 
Your old man, Matt, 32 games for Footscray. Three, have I got this right? Three of your uncles also played at the highest level now. Uncle Mark, 61 for Collingwood, one for Essen. Uncle Luke, a.k.a. the Rhino, yeah. O'Sullivan, 62 uh, games for Carlton. And Uncle Ian, Ian Aiken, of course, who many listeners will know, who I think married your mum's sister, played 66 for the Blues. That's a big footy family, isn't it? A big footy family. Yeah, it is. It is. So I uh, obviously grew up around it, loved it. Um, didn't have appreciation for the amount of footy and how they went about their careers until I was a bit older. But, um, yeah, I was very lucky to have those influences in my life. Um, you know, Ian Aiken, um, you know, Ian Aiken, Mark, Luke, and, and, my, and my dad, Matt, they, um, they all had a massive impact on me as a kid, really. Um, and, and to be honest, I think we're a, a bit of an advantage, especially when I was 13, 14, 15. Um, yeah, dad and, and Ian were, were coaches at my uh, junior footy club and, and they were able to, uh, yeah, really steer in the right direction. And, and I think, um, a lot of my training habits were, were from sort of their, I guess, hard workers when I was, when I was a kid. So they, they sort of instilled and drilled into me the way to sort of prepare and train at sort of 13 or 14, which I think was a big advantage. Yeah. I want to keep you here for a moment. I'm, I'm interested in this, being in this sort of footy family with those guys and the resumes they had. How were you taught from a footy point of view or, or what did those who teach you hold most dear was it all about when it's your turn to go you have to go the emphasis on the need to be able to win your own ball as well what did they prioritize with you um the big one the big one for me was uh just not not spectating so i used to every now and then when i'd play poorly i'd, I'd skirt around the packs and my old man after the game would sort of say mate you, you were pretty you know you're skirting around you've got to get in there and get the ball so big 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 one on contested ball and ian was the same and then the other big one was um was my running patterns at a 13 14 year old old, I was getting, you know, there'd be funny, there'd be voices. We'd one with my grandpa and one would be my dad, not saying my name, but it'd be like push across, get across. But I knew it was always directed at me. So, um, it was frustrating. You're going, shut up. Like, just yeah. give, give me a spell. But at the same time, it was really instilling me how to go about running from, you know, in, in AFL sense, they call it from an A pattern to a C pattern to a B pattern, whatever it is. And I was learning those running patterns at a young age, which, um, which I think was a huge advantage for me in terms of understanding how to accumulate the ball at a young age. Um, I didn't realise it at the time, but when I was 18 or 19, I just found it easy to find the ball. And, and funnily enough, it was from um, the way they were kind of going about it at a young age, which I think, as I said, was a big advantage. Two sisters? Yeah. One, Molly one, and Alice? Alice is 25. She's uh, currently uh, over in London, working in London. And Molly's 30, 35. She's um, got a family over in Perth. Yep. So you're in the middle, are you? In the middle. Middle child. Yeah. So your uh, mum, Geraldine, your dad, Matt, as I mentioned, it sounds as though between them they barely missed a game, like whether it be juniors, I think even uh, in your days at Sydney, the old man might have said, um, oh, no, I can't make it, but he'd always get there at the last minute. Yeah. They were always there? Always there. So they travelled the country. We might have spoken about it recently. They um they loved the whole process of the journey, although it didn't end too well. They loved, you know, the career at Sydney and, and St Kilda, getting, getting to games when they could, travelling where they could, especially those final series. Um my grandpa, my, my old man's dad, sort of um, was getting quite uh, quite quite sick there around two twelve, two thirteen, and um, there's fond memories of the whole family going up to Sydney to watch the prelim, coming back down, obviously watching the grand final in Melbourne, and, and doing the same thing in, in twenty thirteen and fourteen. So um, it's it's about um, you know bringing the whole family along together, both um, immediate and extended family, and um, you know it was it was an amazing time to be able to bring happiness to everyone and um, I think that's what um, I was very fortunate and lucky to be able to do with having such success at Sydney is uh, the whole family jumped on the Swans bandwagon and, and were able to experience the, the team success together yeah. so it was, a, it was a pretty special you know 10 year period really. Love that. Tell us about your grandma Liz O'Sullivan because you yep. two had a, a, something of a pre-match routine didn't you? <laughs> Did she used to give you a buzz the day before games? Uh, yeah we had a pre-match routine. She used to call me, I was quite an anxious kid growing up um, 
you know, from the age of nine or 10, I, I knew I was a bit of an overthinker and, and had some anxious tendencies and would always get a bit stressed about the smallest of things. Um, even though probably at times on the field, I wouldn't show it. I sort of was quite an anxious person. And um, she used to call me before every game. I think most AFL games, she'd call me on a Friday night and would just tell me to sort of leave my, leave my stresses at the door and, and uh, basically just take a chill pill and relax and chill out, which never worked, mind you, but it was always comforting. It was always comforting getting the call. But uh, as soon as she hung up, I was always I was stressing out how, you know, whether I'd sleep enough or ate enough or all that sort of shit. So yeah. quite an obsessive, anxious person, but um, she'd always try to call me and, and comfort me, which was um, which was reassuring. And, and uh, we, we built a strong connection that way. School was Xavier here in Melbourne. What sort of student were you? Was it, uh, <laughs> was it footy or bust or were you about to become a brain surgeon? <laughs> I wouldn't say a brain surgeon. I, uh, like anything, footy, sport or, or study, I took it seriously in a sense that I always wanted to achieve. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was the smartest kid at school, but I worked pretty hard and um, ended up getting a, a pretty decent enter score. And, and um, once I put my mind to something um, and, and do a few extra um, hours at something like I did, like I had to do with my studies, I, um, I, I did okay. But like anything, um, especially with, with study or reading, if I, if I take the foot off for a bit, um, I come back to the pack bait pretty quickly. So uh, <laughs> if I put the work in, I'm okay. Yeah, you were part or became part of a select group, I suppose, in the sense that you were drafted. You joined an AFL list, but you stayed at school. So this is 2008 draft, pick 30. You stay in Melbourne to finish your VCE at Xavier in 09. So you make your debut that year against Carlton while, while still in year 12. And, and I think you go on to play seven games that year. Crazy times. What was it like going off to play for the Swans and then coming back to the schoolyard? That was uh, that was pretty awesome. Looking back, um, I remember we had three weeks of school holidays the back end of the year and um, played every reserves game in Canberra, and then the last game I think Barry Hall might have got um, suspended or sacked. Um, we had injuries galore. Mickey O'Loughlin was sore, Leo Barry was sore, Jared Croucher sore, and then I remember Ruzi saying, "Mate, we've got all these guys out. Um, do you want to? You know, we think you're ready to play. Do you want to play?" And I was like, "Mate, absolutely." <laughs> um, and so played that game. Um, you know, I remember lining up on Murphy a few times and. Juddy and these guys thinking, this is just incredible. These blokes are my idols and these guys are incredible players. Um, and I remember just, I remember distinctly some of Mark Murphy's running during that game and I'm going, I'm so far off it, you know, because he was just a freak that that year and around that period. And um, that night, we I think we lost, we might have lost that night. It was a Saturday night from memory. I think so, yeah. And uh, we had our um, Swans Hall of Fame dinner, which was pretty special. So to get inducted, to get sort of a part of, you know, a night like that, seeing guys get inducted, legends of the club, um, and then Mickey O and Reece Shaw, Took us all out in the town that night. Uh, it was pretty cool. I had to get um, brought back down to Earth kind of school Monday, uh, <laughs> and all the boys were asking how how it was, and um, it was a pretty pretty surreal kind of two months, really. Yeah, yeah, I reckon it would be. Now I'm certainly not casting judgment here because we all do stupid things <laughs> in our younger days. Yeah. Me most definitely included. But I suppose where I was different from you and a lot of people listening uh, this morning is that you're already in the public eye, which is immensely uh, far more challenging when you're involved in that those muck up day shenanigans and suspended for the last few days at school and of course it becomes news across the country uh, sort of a not in Kansas anymore type moment I'd imagine that okay uh, this is adjusting to a new life here yeah for sure um it took me a while to adjust uh, I think um yeah I, I, from memory uh not from memory I know for a fact that a number of muck up day carried on like some most year 12 kids do and yeah the media got a handle on it, and I remember uh, getting a stern talking to him, Horse, Horse Longmire. Uh, and then not too long after that, there was another incident at Falls Festival where my, uh, which wasn't my fault actually, the um, the Falls organisers, they didn't put, um, uh, I guess they're called um, stoppers in front of my uh, my old combi van, and it sort of rolled down the hill and hit a few parked cars, which was super dangerous at the time. And um, media got a hold of that, and I remember going to the uh, the Swans. Um, Swans headquarters on the Monday, day one of you know the second block of preseason, and um, 
yeah, it's it's not a it's not a place you want to be with horse coming down, breathing down your neck, and giving you a stern talking to. So very early in my career, I uh, I got a taste of um, yeah being in the public light and uh, and trying to um, trying to adhere to that. So it was a yeah, it was it was an interesting time, but something that I had to get used to. I reckon I reckon a horse would be pretty good at the straight down the. Yeah, I, I can't I can't elaborate, but he's um. There's a couple of stories uh, with a few of the few of the plays over the journey, which were just all time in terms of um, you know, getting getting an absolute bake and a spray from him. Uh, one was Dame Rampy, which I won't go into the story around that, uh, which is pretty funny. Uh, and obviously, I caught my fair share as well, but. He'd only ever do that though to the players that I guess he sort of almost treat like his own sons that he could really that he really respected and knew that he needed to get more out of both on field and off field and um, it was an incredibly uh, yeah high level of respect that the playing group had for him and and um, you know that if he was giving that sort of feedback even though it was uh, pretty scary and you, and you wouldn't sleep for days after he give you a spray that it was coming from a good place yeah. but you go on <laughs> to be I mean your name rising star of twenty ten I think yep. it was so I mean. Clearly you adjusted and clearly your footy was, was fantastic. So it all, it all worked out in the early sure. days. We're with Dan Annery on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. The good times are about to roll for Dan at the Swans. That's next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is former Sydney and St Kilda ball winner Dan Hanabry. So, Dan, the 2012 Grand Final triumph over the Hawks, an incredible game. I mean, you're down by three goals at the first change, up by nearly that margin at halftime. Scores are basically level at the final break. And you run out 10-point winners. And you are excellent with 29 touches and a goal. Five Norm Smith medal votes as well. How does this day live on with you? Are the memories still vivid enough? Yeah, they are. They're fleeting at times. I've watched the replay. I can't tell you how many times I've watched the replay, but a lot, um, particularly that last quarter. Here is Jenner. He'll get the ball now. Slaps it forward. Taken by Hanabry. Able to line up Hanabry and kick a goal. Is the bounce. Both Ruckman hanging on. Kennedy can't emerge with the football, not forward by Savage. Hanabry to Malchesti. Is that the grand final? Sydney of Premiers. I just remember the, the feeling, the elation, the euphoria, that the adrenaline and energy you get after playing four of the hardest quarters from memory up to my up to, for my career up to date. And um, getting that injection of energy at the end of the game, I'll never, never experience anything like it. Hanabry's been magnificent. Malcheski, two goals that he'll never forget. And they're home all right. They've done it. What a team. That culture, the bloods. That's what it's all about. Unbelievable day. We're gone. We're absolutely gone. And um, Macker at a three-quarter time just said, boys, how much do you want the cup? Um, dig in. And, and the guys gave absolutely everything. And... and uh, whether we won or lost this game, we knew we gave it everything, and uh, we were lucky to get away with the win. And uh, I just can't—I can't describe the feeling at the moment. It's just—it's uh, unbelievable. It's a feeling of euphoria. It's really hard to describe, but as a kid, you dream of playing on the MCG. You dream of kicking a goal in a grand final. You dream of winning the grand final, and it sort of all happened. And it was just this bizarre sort of euphoric feeling I can't really describe. And family was there, and the teammates, and you know, it was the first time I'd sort of you know had genuine emotion. Almost mm. felt like I wanted to cry. So it was uh, it was quite an experience, and something that looking back that will yeah we'll clearly never forget. But it was um, doing it with the group that we had. We we're probably underdogs that day. I think Hawthorne were probably favourites, um, and we won on we honestly won that day on pure grit. I think we have we had like a target of you know. 
every week 250 pressure points, which is sort of our target. And, and it's pretty bloody hard to get because horse has high standards. And I think that day we had 330, which for us at the time was absolutely off the charts. Um, I think we had 120 old tackles or something. So we sort of won on grit, you know, system, defensive pressure, whatever you want to call it. Um, clearly we had some good players and we played some good footy offensively. But the way we came together that day and won, um, it was uh, it was quite incredible. And um, it's great to be able to catch up with those guys every now and then and and, um, mm. and recount the, uh, the you know the incredible journey. Best celebrator that night. I remember Mummy gave it a good crack. <laughs> I had a bit of fun. We went to uh, where did we go. We went to uh, Mummy. Well, Mummy rocked up late to the. Um, the South Melbourne um, family day, the, family next, day, day. the next day, yeah. he sort of stormed in late and nearly, nearly collapsed on his knee. Um, we all went from memory. We all uh, we had the, we had the dinner and then we all went to Eve Nightclub. And I remember the Russians going on a podcast recently saying that I think that was their their highest earning night ever in terms of their their, their nightclub days. And they've got Bar Bambi now. They've had Eve. They've been incredible mm. operators and, and they're incredible what they do. And they would have had some incredible after parties at the Eve Nightclub and, and certainly Bar Bambi these days. But um, for them to come on and say that the two twelve Grand Final was their highest taking night. Uh, gives you a bit of an indication of what sort of uh, celebrations we had there and um Jeez, it was good fun. All, all the I remember I was still only twenty one at that stage, and you're sort of rubbing shoulders with Gary Ablett and these sort of blokes, and, and Dane Swan, and these sort of these sort of superstars of the game. Um, but they're kind of there to celebrate, you know, the Swans and you guys, which was a bit of a weird, surreal, surreal experience. I remember we celebrated hard into the night, and um, yeah, there was an, it was an incredible couple of weeks. Just on your coach, you mentioned horse earlier, so I bet you started under Rusey. So a horse, uh, I guess, succeeds him. The handover at Sydney that was well publicised. How were they different, or were their methods similar? Given they just worked hand in glove for so long. Uh, I'd say they were similar with their methods in terms of you know defensive philosophy. Contested ball and defence was just absolute uh, you know, key pillars of, of our game, and we trained at every session. So um, that's sort of one of the big similarities. Um, I didn't get Rusey during his two oh five oh six when I think you know he would have been at the peak of his powers mm. and relationship building and stuff. I think at the end of his tenure, I was younger. I was a lot more intimidated by him. Um, now we're a lot better friends, and, and we get along a lot better than what we used to back then. Um, so he was on his way out. So it's hard for me to really comment too much, mm. but I, I do know that when Horse came in, uh, his ability to build relationships with all his players, how hard he drove the leadership group. He really drove the leaders hard. He, them at the top, if they went performing, um, that'd be the ones in the review that would get the biggest whack as opposed to a player that had played three games. So he really did protect the younger players or inexperienced players. He really put the heat and the asset on his leadership group, which really, I think, fundamentally made us a really strong group. Having our leaders put to high, such high standards, or I think in other organisations and clubs, you, you do hear of um, sometimes leaders getting away with some things and um, you know the younger players or more exper- inexperienced yeah. players copping a whack, which which wasn't the way that, um, that I was. Uh, taken through things, which was um, you know a credit to horse. And I think as as it, as it's gone along, I haven't been there the last three years, but from what I can gather, he's gotten even better with his relationships um, with such a young group. He needed to be able to change, and, and probably from that real hard taskmaster, which we, I guess as um, players of that generation, we're probably able to handle his, his heat a bit more. Yeah. Nowadays with kids, you need to probably have a slightly softer touch, be strong with your relationships. And from what I can gather, he's been able to do that. And that's probably why he's able to maintain such a high success um, rate as he has at Sydney for so long. And why they're now going to be challenging, I think, this year for, for mm. finals again and, and probably a flag. So you've had some team success by this stage, <laughs> some individual success. Now, I'm not sure what you learned from the Muck Up Day saga, but I, <laughs> I'd imagine you needed every bit of that now some more when the news slipped out in, I think, 2014 that John Longmore and some others had sat you down in mid-2013 to, yep. how would they say, remind you of your or remind you of proper standards and obligations. How difficult was that? And what prompted that chat? And how did you navigate your way through it? Oh, I think I think what prompted it, I think what was I, 21, 22, won a flag, won an All-Australian. I think I probably thought I was a bit better than, than what I was, really. Yeah. Going around, uh, you know, probably an inflated ego, thinking, thinking uh, 
you know, it was all not, not all too easy, but just how good, how good's life, you know? Um, enjoying it, enjoying, enjoying the Sydney life. Uh, but, um, as I was saying earlier, horse and me had a really good, strong relationship. And I think it was more just about, mate, just put you, I think I came back a bit, bit slightly heavy in 2014, the preseason, wasn't training that well, started the year really poorly from memory. I think my first couple of games were really poor. Mm. Um, and it was just a really strong, honest conversation going, mate, you've got to lift your, lift your standards, lift your training intensity, uh, you know, basically improve your standards off field. You're coming in a bit overweight and, um, and you're not performing as strongly. So it was a really good, solid, um, conversation. It was something that I probably went away with and, and like any play, you initially go, you know, that, 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 that's bullshit. You disagree internally, but looking back after a week, you go, no, he's spot on. I've got, you know, sort yeah. my stuff out, um, and, uh, and come, come with a real strong, um, strong attitude to train and prepare well. And I think after, oh, I can't remember what it was, three, first two or three rounds, I started playing really strong footy again. And, um, that was the beauty of having such a coach that demanded high standards and, and accountability. Crashing Buddy's Benz not long after that probably wasn't advisable either. Uh, I imagine that didn't help things. Uh, no, nah, it didn't help things. Uh, the big bud moved up in, when did he move up? 2013. Um, we obviously became really close really quickly. Um, and we obviously both enjoyed it, enjoyed a good time there for a, for a period of time. And um, yeah, I, I took his, took his Benz for a ride in the, in the Harbour City. And uh, thankfully I was all okay. My partner at the time was in the car and a friend of ours. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was a decent crash in the, uh, in the Harbour city. It was, it was cops and fires and stuff. So luckily we we're, uh, we we're all okay. Mm. Um, and, uh, and everyone got it, got out of there unscathed and it, yeah, it wasn't a, wasn't a cheap exercise after that. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that one's in the revision mirror. I can't imagine it was. It's funny though, the year that they felt the need to sit you down, you'd go on to become all Australian in 2013. So it's funny the way things work out. Just on Lance, his arrival was in late 2013. That shocked everyone. That shocked us, especially the AFL. They were livid that he was going to be joining you guys and not the mob across town, the Giants. So what, what was the reaction of the playing group at the time? I, th- I think Jared McVeigh's on record as saying he and maybe some others knew and the leadership group, but I'd gather not everyone uh, at the time because it remains one of the game's best-kept secrets. Well, funnily enough, uh, after we won the grand final and had the you know couple of weeks celebration, we went to Vegas. It was at, oh, 10 of us went to Vegas, LA Vegas, and um, you know Buddy and Josh Gibson, a few of the Hawks boys were there as well. Uh, one night though, you know, we're all partying together around the booths in the, in the wind nightclub, Calvin Harris was playing. It was a pretty, pretty big night. We were straight to one of the decent booths there. And, um, and Josh Kenley tells a story that night, him and, him and Bubba having a drink cause they played at Hawthorne together. And, um, I think Bud told Joey that night that he's coming to Sydney the next year. I think, uh, don't quote me completely on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what Joey says. And, um, funnily enough, Joey didn't tell us all. Um, and he was always known as someone that you could tell anything to and he'd, and he'd keep it close to his chest and Joey didn't tell a soul. And I think McVeigh and these guys later in the piece got a wind of it. Um, but we had no idea. We were in, we were, um, uh, in Bali at the time. There's about 15 of us from in Bali and, um, we checked the AFL up after, after a night out at, um, at single fin and we're all uh, worse for wear the next morning in the villa going, you know, just want to book me a flight back to, back to Melbourne, check the AFL up. And then it's sure enough, buddies are uh, coming to Sydney. So straight away, we're just up and about going, you know, this is, we've come off a prelim, but we weren't quite good enough. And we're thinking she's, we're right in the hunt again. I reckon. I remember boys rocked to the preseason that year, just going, let's let's go. And we went into the grand final that year favorites. And, um, you know, the reverse happened to us from it, uh, two years earlier. It did. So just on the next two grand final experiences, not as positive, 2014 and 2016, do you, Gee, they were good games too, though. Well, twenty sixteen was. Do, do you wipe? Do you wipe them? Do they live on? How do they live on with you? I mean, do you bury them 
and uh, and go to 2012? Or how does it sit with you? Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever actually really reconciled with both. 14 was one of those ones where we just got blown out of the yeah. water. We mustn't have – I thought we were in, in good shape. We mustn't have quite prepared well. However, though, when you ever have a thumping prelim win like we did, it doesn't set you up well the next week. We had a 70-point win against – at that stage, a listless – you know, Kangaroos were pretty poor that night. Yeah. We, we smacked them. And the next week, we probably just went a bit overconfident, I think. I don't know what it was. But um, Hawthorne came out. With, with a vengeance after 2012 and just smacked us from the, from the get-go. You were on the receiving end of... There's yeah. always a moment in a grand final, isn't yeah. it? Unfortunately for you, you're on the receiving end of it with that, that Jared Roughhead uh, yeah. tackle. No, I had a couple, but um, whether they were after me or whether I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, one of the two. Hale tries to backhand it down. Gee, they've been hard on Hanabry. That was a big hit. I think it was McAvoy or Roughhead that got him. Just how belligerent and fierce are the Hawks here. That was a day where you just go, you know what? Wipe it. Yeah. Uh, it's the 16 one that's hard to move on from. You know, we had probably, I'm going to say four or five guys were under a cloud going in. They played, still played okay. And Buddy was injured during the game. Parker had a bad knee. And then obviously I hurt my knee late. You know, Parks played with Buddy half a PCL, I think, that whole game. We, we were okay, but we just didn't quite click and play well enough that day. I think it was still 55 apiece with maybe six minutes to go. I think maybe Buddy got tackled by Dale, uh, Morris, and then Boy kicks a goal and yep. sort of the damn wall burst a bit. It's a bloody frustrating, yeah, frustrating game. I mean, I've watched, I've actually watched that game twice, which is unbelievable for me. And I don't care which way you paint it, but some of the direct free kick goals were extraordinary. I've slowed it down. I'm like this day and now, the, the way they have games umpired now, I'm going to say we almost win the game. Dane Rampy got tackled for three seconds, got a handball away, got holding the ball, free kick goal. Like it was unbelievable. So not that I want to blame the umpires because the Bulldogs that final series, every final were unbelievable. Mm. And, and looking back, they probably were the best team that year given how well they played in the final series. They beat the Giants who were red hot in the prelims. So take nothing away from them. Looking at the game in, in its entirety, some of those free kick goals were pretty Well, good. it was 20 to 8 the count in the end, and the AFL later came out and said that uh, the officiating was not up to the standard expected. So that, that's the official word from from, from the organisation. <laughs> you had an incident at the start of the last quarter, you're speaking about your injury with Easton Wood, where he uh, slid in, uh, took your legs out, no free kick. Uh, medial ligament, I think it was. Yep. And uh, obviously that ruined your day, the rest of your day, and I think you you uh, you were laid up for a while after that. Henry and Hard hurt himself. Henry's in trouble. I hope he's all right. Joe Henderson to run and carry. Good tackle. He gets a fair bit on it. Mark taken by Rampy. Where's Henry? Is he all right? He's in trouble. I don't think he's going to be okay at all. He's clutched his knee. He's in agony at the moment, and the trainers are carrying him off the ground. And it should have been a free kick too. He texted you a couple of days later, though, didn't he, Easton Wood? Yeah, he messaged me on, it might have been Monday or Tuesday, just saying, mate, sorry to, sorry about that, what happened and, you know, what, what do you do? We're, we're sort of, um, you know, they're, they're up and about and uh, we were drowning our sorrows. But uh, it was, yeah, it was obviously a well-received and much-appreciated message. I wasn't expecting it. And I guess it just shows you the sort of bloke he is, I guess, to, on his mad Monday or whatever it is, mad Tuesday, whatever day it was for them, that he had the uh, you know, the thought process to, to reach out, which was, um, yeah, certainly very appreciative. And not to dwell on the umpiring, but, you know, inside the four walls afterwards, when it's just you guys sitting around, are you any different to any other amateur or a country footy club out there coming, we were robbed. Or was, is that something the players go to straight away or it's more, geez, just you're so deflated you can barely discuss the game? Nah, no, nah, we just were deflated. Yeah. Barely, I mean, we didn't even, and when you're out there, you don't really know. You get a feel for it, but it's hard to know whether, you know, what, what costs you. I think when you were a bit banged up, but we also, for, a fair, for our stands, we didn't play anywhere near the level we'd been playing all year. So yeah. it was almost that initially. And then when you reflect and look back, you go, geez, we were pretty stiff on probably four or five direct mm. free kick goals. But yeah, I think at the, at the end of the day, we just weren't quite there. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives. Dan Hanabry's move to the Saints is right after this. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. They are a family-owned business and they have been since 1934. We've had the company today of ex-Swan and Saints midfielder Dan Hanabry. So, Dan, um, 2015-year-old Australian, uh, 2016-year-old Australian, 2013 we mentioned. You signed a five-year deal in 2015 at Sydney, a year out, I think, from your old contract expiring through until 2021. So the trade to the Saints at the end of 2018 certainly hadn't been part of the plan. What are its origins and how did it come about? I don't know the exact um, origins or how it exactly came about. All I do know is that signed a big contract. Um, my groin started getting significantly worse that year. Like I was in quite a bit of discomfort playing and, um, you know, I hardly trained at all that going into 2018 at all in the preseason. I was sort of trying to recover from basically playing with OP the whole year of 17. I had a, really, I had a pretty decent year 17, but I was playing every game hampered with, with sore groins and that carried on to the next year. And mm. back, back in, he wasn't playing well. I think there was a... Um, you know, clearly on a contract, not playing well, um, whether it was left lane and St Kilda reaching out to my manager or the other way around where it's almost a, a joint thing of, look, if you do find somewhere out, we'll, we'll entertain it. I actually don't know which, which side. So you're still from. not sure as to I'm, who? I think on one side, my manager said, look, it was probably the St Kilda, it's probably Sydney that were happy to fear to be shopped around. And another side would say, no, no, it was completely your manager from St Kilda. So I didn't know, who, you don't know who to believe. And I, I love horse and I love Sydney and my, my allegiances are still heavily linked to those guys. And obviously I love and respect negation. So it's really hard to work out who to believe. All I know is from what I can gather, it was a bit of both, to be honest. It was it was probably St Kilda coming, look, where's his head at? Would he like to move to Melbourne? And it's like, well, you know what? If, if there's a deal that we can agree to, we'll make it work. So I think yeah. it, it takes two parties to agree to it. So I think that's kind of where, where it's at. Did you always roughly have it in the back of your mind that you'd want to come back and finish your career? I did. Probably not that soon. Yep. I think it was going to, I thought it was going to be a 30, 30, 30 plus thing, not with a year or two to go on my contract. But the way it worked out, it was a great deal. I was keen to come back to Melbourne. It was a massive opportunity and also a, a big challenge as well. You know, I, I took it with both hands and thought, you know what, stuff, let's go down there and, and try and um, try and uh, be a part of, you know, getting St Kilda back into the final series. So five years it was at the Saints. Were there any... Other interested clubs? Did you speak to any other clubs in the process or was it only going to be the Saints? In, in, in that period, it was, it was mainly St Kilda. Um, you know, prior to signing my last contract, there was a couple of other clubs, but in that in that period, there was, um, yeah, it was mainly St Kilda. So the physical stuff, I mean, upon, re, uh, upon signing at St Kilda, you said, my body's feeling great, but you never know what's going to happen two or three years down the track. It's a combat sport. And they're, they're haunting words, those almost, aren't they? Prophetic, because ultimately you'd manage only the 18 games in yep. the four seasons. Uh, what happened, or or maybe the better way to phrase it, what didn't happen might be a better way to put it, to, to get you in this downward spiral that, you, as we touched on yep. earlier, you couldn't quite dig yourself out of. Yeah, well, actually, another big reason why I came down is there's a, a sort of a, a rehab specialist um, that, you know, Chris Judd and Luke Hodge had worked with through their groins and they'd got them back to full speed. And, and I'd worked with him back after 2018 and yeah. he basically, you know, cured me of the groin pain and I was sort of running freely and, and running at my normal high speeds in that final against Giants and played a really strong final 2018 for my standards in that, that game. And that's when I knew, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good, I'm ready to go. And my first couple of weeks at, at St Kilda, I was flying around. So I knew that I went down there in good nick. Um from a groin perspective and, and soft tissues felt okay. It probably, I probably went into full blown. I went to training too early and was trying to train like a maniac too early. To impress? Ping the, ping the hammy, which I hadn't done ever, to be honest, at that, that, that level. 
Um, and then after that, had a few sort of um, hiccups with that. And then a, then a calf happened again, which at that level, you know, I'd had a few little niggly one-weekers, but nothing like that. So that was the first time I'd ever have significant soft tissue pain or ones that weren't recovering after a week or two. So that was sort of a new thing. And I was, and obviously there's a bit of anxiety and stress, new club, um, will I get back, what's going on? So that was that was frustrating because I went there feeling good. And then once it started, it was hard to kind of get a hand on that first year. Finally got back to the back five games, played pretty well, played the last game against Sydney and and played solely and thinking, you know what, um, we'll be good to go. And that next year started well, 2020, played against North Melbourne, pre-season was, was flying around. Then COVID hit, came back, uh, played a couple of games. The second game against Richmond, we had, played off a five-day break, which I'd never done before. Yeah. Um, looking back, was, I would have wouldn't have played. Um, and then hurt my hammy in that second quarter. You know, ended up having a, a long rehab. Didn't quite get to the rehab. Had surgery. Um, you know, came back really quickly, and then um, and probably played one of my better games in Kilda in the final against um, the Bulldogs. So it's a really mixed bag that first year. Yes, I didn't play a lot, but when I played, I was a strong contributor. You know, I was a bit unlucky there as well. Probably that second year with COVID, to be honest. Um, well, what? I mean, you couldn't take a trick. What happened at your sister's house with the step and the fractured foot? I mean, yeah, well. Uh, <laughs> It was funny, um, you know, Tom Brown reported as if I was drinking and, and rolled my ankle, which funnily enough, um, I remember at the time after I did it, taking a video of myself and the incident. So, you know, for the, so that I was uh, ruled out because I knew that's what would have, everyone would have thought. Had my sister's engagement Saturday night. And then on the Monday and Tuesday, they were renovating their backyard, their landscape in their backyard. So they had like no fences and a massive step that needed to be sort of cut out. And it was probably about a metre and a half. And I was sort of stepping down and not really watching where my foot went and it just buckled right underneath me. Um, and I remember my parents being there, um, you know, the other, other family members being there and seeing it happen in real time. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking, no, nah, I should be okay. I think I just rolled my foot and it just blew up and, um, completely ruptured my fifth metatarsal. Um, so I, re- I recovered from that relatively quickly, to be honest, and, and was ready to go for round one that next year, which was the start of, yeah, 2020. So uh, just collectively in the four years you're at St Kilda, you mentioned going overseas early, you mentioned the specialist in Melbourne. How, just how, looking back, how exhausting was the search for answers? Like a bottomless pit, I'd imagine. Oh, it was a bottomless pit. I mean, the anxiety, stress, like a sleep. Um, I mean, I spent, I won't go into the, the absolute, I spent a sickening amount of money trying to get my body right. Like Out of your sickening. own? Sickening. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, you know, um, and to be honest with you, I was vindicated at stages coming back and playing well and going, you know what, it was worth it because it was worth playing 18 games and it was worth playing a, f- a couple of finals. So I look back and I go, you know what, it was worth it. And it was worth it trying to play my last game against Sydney and, and playing well to go out in a high. So I look back and go, it was worth it. But, um, you know, yeah, the time, effort, resource put into to the four years was significant and uh, it took a massive mental toll, to be honest. But, um you know, I wouldn't change it in a sense that, you know, I would have loved to have played more games, but mm. it's given me great perspective and um, it got me a taste of what it was like to be at the height of heights, but also experience the low of lows, which I think, you know, it does give you, um, it gives you a, a platform to, to be able to appreciate the, the great things a lot, but also have good empathy, understanding for, you know, when, when things aren't going well, but also similarly when, th- when other people are going through a similar situations to what you have. So yeah. um, ideally I would have liked to play more footy, but um you know, in regards to the, the lessons it taught me, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm not sure if you're embarrassed that it got out or you'd been around long enough by this stage to know that it eventually would, but the decision that you made to renegotiate the final year of your contract as it was, and as was reported, you know, yep. take less was enormously admirable. I'm not, not many players at all have done that. Why did you do it? What motivated you to do that? Um, or were you pressured to do it? No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah, um, 
I think I was on a decent, I was on a, a good contract for five, for four years, five years. Um, so the fifth year was a trigger, which I wasn't able to get. And, um, I think I've just backed myself in so heavily that I'd work so hard that, you know what, I'd be able to get this 10 game or 12 game trigger. I sort of, was a bit, um, I don't know if it's arrogant or well, self-confidence, self-confidence yeah. going, you know what, I'll be able to get this. And, and, if, and if I don't, I don't des- almost don't deserve it in a sense. Cause I haven't played enough footy, but I mean, looking back, it was probably the wrong call, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, but, uh, I guess it's one of those things where, you know what, I, um, Four years didn't quite work out. They put a significant investment into me. I didn't quite um, live up to that. Mm. To give me a little bit, a little bit back to allow them to maybe target some players in the off season seemed fair. Um, and I guess it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think we're nearly out of time. But just there was a chance for a time. I don't know if it was a slim chance or better than a half fifty percent chance or whatever. But of you continuing at Gold Coast, yep. um, did that ever get out of first gear? Um, yeah, I had a conversation with Stewie Jew and Reese Shaw around grand final time. Um, you know, when you're sort of doing your lap of honor and you're kind of shutting up shop and, um, going back to that mental toll, I was so cooked mentally and physically, mm. so exhausted going, you know what, I don't know if I can go up there and give it my absolute all. Cause it's sending, it's actually at the end of it, it was sending me insane. You know, I was going seriously nuts towards yeah. the end of it. It was just such a, um, you know, the, 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 the cost was probably starting to creep above the, what the benefit was of playing. But, um, I went, went overseas with a couple of Swans players, actually went to Europe, came back, started training again and, and had a real appetite for it. Around grand final time, I told him, I'm, I'm done, not, not going not gonna to take it up, can't, um, can't commit. And then around this, you know, November, I sort of had a bit of a, you know, had the fire in the belly and rang Julie and said, man, I'm keen again, let's go. At that stage, they made a couple of other calls mm. and um, it, never, it never sort of materialised and unfortunately didn't go off the ground. But, um, you know, if I had have accepted it around grand final time, it probably would have happened. It's a cliche, but mate, you look in a good spot. And I mean, I, I didn't realize to what extent, you know, out of your own pocket, you tried to solve all you. And I mean, I'm sure there's people listening who thought, crikey's the guy actually took so much pride in his own performance. He did everything to get back. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I guess the, the, the hand that you dealt is the hand that you dealt. Mm, that's uh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately it didn't quite work out, but as I said, um, he had, had an incredible amount of luck in that first 10 years. And you look at one of my great mates, Alex Johnson, he wasn't too fortunate. He only played you know, under 50 games or 50 games in a grand final, and that was it. So I do need to have perspective in regards to that when talking about it. But I guess when it is in your own head and your own reality, you have those experiences. But in regards to comparison of other players who weren't as lucky, I had an incredible journey and, and was and was lucky and um, some incredible memories. Yeah, it's, mate, it's great to catch up with you. We appreciate you coming in. Not to embarrass you, but what you would have achieved in two-thirds of a career most players can't get to win their entire career. So you should be immensely proud of that uh, and your family as well. Well done on everything that you've done and, and did. And thanks for sharing your story with us. Appreciate it, Sam. You've Cheers been listening guys. to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can jump online, find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.